Welcome to this episode of God Talk, and this week I'm going to be doing a little bit of a smorgasbord. I want to talk a little bit about racism, a little bit about uh, some politics, and a little bit about the church. So it's going to be a little bit of a mixture of uh, several different things, uh, but uh, all of them are very relevant to what's going on in the world today. So it is a podcast smorgasbord today. Uh, I want to start with uh, the horrific shootings from Buffalo last week. And uh, just the racism that was involved in the uh, 18-year-old kid that, that, that did this. Um, it's just, there's, there's just no way to defend it. And it's, it's horrible that in our day and age, stuff like that would happen. And I hope whether you're on the right or wherever you are politically, because, I mean, the left is certainly speaking out about it, but I just hope. Even if you're conservative politically, you can recognize that 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 is horrific and there's no tolerance for that kind of view in 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 America or really in this world. Uh, So, uh, you know, I'm originally from uh, the Buffalo area uh, and it's just uh, it's just heartbreaking. Um, And, uh, you know, someone had sent me the video where I could watch it. I just I I wouldn't even watch it. I I, I don't want to watch it. I have no desire to watch it. Um, it's just, uh, it's horrible. Uh, so with that being said though, um, I think we have to look at why we do have racism in this country, uh, because I, I'm a firm believer that my kids never would have had to know racism in the same way that my generation experienced it and knew it. Um, if it wasn't for, uh, the, uh, political gain that the liberal left uses uh, to stoke racism for their own political advantage. And all the inconsistencies that are allowed in this country in the name of uh, race equalization, which is really racism, uh, that really fans the flames of racism in this country. Um, I think I mentioned last week on last week's podcast that, you know, when you hire uh, a Supreme Court or nominate a Supreme Court uh, nominee and you say, I'm only looking for a black woman, then by every definition, that is racism and that is sexism because you're disqualifying any other candidates. Well, who do we have as the new press secretary uh, for Joe Biden? Well, you've got a gay black woman immigrant really the only thing you're missing if you're gonna start checking boxes is transgender and like she didn't get the job because she was the most qualified have you heard her first few press conferences she's horrible no she got the job to be uh, a pioneer for uh joe biden trying to like first of all normalize homosexuality But once again, she got it because of her gender, because of her race, and because of her sexual orientation. Now, that is sexism, that is racism, and sexual orientation, I don't don't know what kind of ism that is. But, I I mean, these are the things that will fan the, the, the flames of racism in this country. So much so, you know, if, if if a white person or a white president says, I'm only going to look for a white male uh, for this position, that's going to piss off a lot of minorities, and rightfully so. 
but we don't see that when we do that the other way around that doesn't like fan flames of people who are already racist and and make them even more do we not see that it's it's racism and in and pandering when this last christmas a black racist mows down a, a crowd of people at a christmas parade in wisconsin killing like six and i think injuring 60 because he's just trying to kill white people but the president doesn't like hardly acknowledge that certainly doesn't go visit wisconsin for that they they don't try to draw any attention to that but he's in buffalo like a day or two after it happens you, you see politically when we play games with things like racism we we fan the flames of racism and, and that's not a good thing that you know i i just had a former neighbor of mine uh come in and i i've i haven't been in this house for um i i don't know uh probably eight eight years or so and uh every so often he'll come by and see me but i don't think i've seen him since covid so it's been a couple years since i saw him and he's african-american um but he comes and sees me every so often and uh and i love that he does and this is what he said to me uh when he uh, stopped by i think it was friday of this past week he's like you know you know what i appreciate most about you and i'm like what he said, uh, th- that one time that you came into my house, you just came down, you, you came inside and, and the way you sat down and the way you were just kind of like relaxed and he kind of showed like reclining a little bit in, in the chair. He's like, I knew you were comfortable. And, and, and I just appreciated that, you know, basically what they're saying, you a white person coming into my house, a black person, and like we were just two guys. And I just start laughing. I'm like, that's what impresses you most about me? <laughs> I mean, well, that's setting the standard a little low, but maybe it's not for this country. I, I hope it's not. I mean, I hope that's not how we are. I'm like, Donald, I, I mean, I'm just, I don't see you for the color of your skin. <laughs> you know, you're a great guy and always enjoyed talking with you when I was neighbors. And I always appreciate you coming by. We have to stop seeing color. I mean, seriously, and that's in all sides. And not only is racism wrong, but reverse racism is wrong. It's just we don't like talk about reverse racism. We don't punish reverse racism the same way. And that just fans the flames of racism. And so it's sickening what happened in Buffalo. But I think we need to seriously look at how we handle things politically because I think politically we do a lot of things to fan the flames of racism because it it helps at least one side uh, to get the votes that they need to get elected. All right, so that's Buffalo, that's politics, and uh, let's spend a little time uh, talking about the church. I'm starting a new sermon series called Broken, and this Sunday I'm going to be talking about how the church is broken. And I'll just say that when the church is broken... Um, it's unable to help society uh, be broken. And when the church is broken, the, the, the church is ineffective. Listen, if, if you've got a broken leg and you play tennis, you play golf, you play football, you play baseball, you play basketball, you're not going to be playing anything when you got a broken leg. It's going to have to heal before you're able to participate in those things. Well, I mean, the church can hobble around I guess, with a broken leg. 
We can hobble, hobble around being a, a broken institution, but we're not nearly as effective as what we need to be. So I'm going to be talking about it this week. And one of the things that I'm going to talk about, and I just want to handle it a little bit deeper in the podcast today, is uh, that Christians don't even have a biblical worldview. Um, it's hard to know exactly where uh, we are in some of these things in terms of uh, where people currently are in their view of worldview. But going back almost even 20 years ago, um, only 4% of American adults had biblical wor- worldviews. And really only 9% of born-again Christians, and born-again Christians are kind of the cream of the crop. They're the ones that uh, you know believe that the Bible's truly the Word of God. They're in church regularly. Uh, only 9% of, of the cream of the crop Christians, and this is going back 20 years ago, uh, had a biblical re- worldview. So, I mean, I'm going to guess it it's less. I've got some other articles that have been written a little bit more recent, but it actually seems to be kind of similar to those same statistics, but it ain't good. Now, when we say biblical worldview, what does that mean? Well, worldviews, it's a term that people use to describe a belief system, um, a belief system by which people understand life and make decisions about the world. Uh, The primary worldview that most people hold in America and probably throughout the world is a, a postmodern uh, worldview. Um, in postmodernism, it's kind of this belief that there's really not absolute truth. That, you know what, that might be true for you, but that's not true for me. Therefore, what I choose to do, you can't say is wrong, and, and it's not. And what you do is isn't really, I can't say he's wrong. It's not. See, that's how we get all this perversion in the world today. We take away the fact that there's absolute truth, which has been taken away with postmodernism. And and then like, it's not our place to tell people you really shouldn't change your gender. You know, you you really shouldn't do this. You, You really shouldn't do that. It's wrong. I mean, before in America, we had laws that, that prohibited these things that we're, we're doing, but no longer is it your right to stand in judgment of what's good for society, what's good for a family, what's good for a person. I mean, unless it fits the left's agenda, then you can, but short of that, you can't. So when there's not a biblical worldview, and when you don't find it amongst Christians, and, and I read some statistics that I think senior pastors are like 40-some percent have a biblical worldview. That means most senior pastors don't, but it's close to 50-50 for them. But then it drops off from associates to executive pastors to, to children's uh, ministers, and you get down to like 12% have a worldview. So when, when your church leaders don't have a biblical worldview, you can't expect that your members will. And uh, and that's going to affect how people act and what people think that they're allowed to do and not do. And I say all the time uh, that as Christians, there's no really identifiable difference between how we live and how other people live. And, and that's because, well, according to these statistics, uh, because most Christians don't have a biblical worldview. They don't think there's a set truth of, of what's right and what's wrong. And so as you dig down into this, it's kind of crazy. Now, people that do not have a biblical worldview are a hundred times more likely to endorse abortion compared to people with a worldview. 
In other words, people with a biblical worldview have uh, 1% think abortion's okay. 1% of the people who have a biblical worldview. 46% of people that don't have a biblical worldview think it's fine, think it's great. Now, how can that be? How is it that so many Christians can think abortions okay this is we get into the my my body my choice it's your body it's your choice before you choose to get pregnant it's your body your choice before you choose to use birth control um here i think we should have a vote on whether abortion is legal or not but i think before we have that vote every person should watch what happens when someone has an abortion as early as like 13 weeks the baby's f- fully formed. I mean, tiny, but hands, arms, head, eyes, feet, everything. And when they go and put the vacuum in to rip apart the body and suck the baby out, uh, them to be able to see the baby, you know, fighting against that, fighting to save its life already at like 13 weeks. I, I, if everyone in America watches that and we want to then vote and say, yeah, killing, killing this life, killing these babies is is okay, then so be it. But wow, I just think that most people don't even understand what goes on because they've never seen an abortion take place. Around 80 times more likely people that do not have a biblical worldview, they're 80 times more likely to say that, you know what, pornography is morally acceptable. 80 times. So once again, as I sit here and say, why as Christians are we acting like non-Christians? It's because, well, we're not really Christian. We don't have a biblical worldview. And if we don't have a biblical worldview, abortion is fine. If we don't have a biblical worldview, pornography is fine. People that do not have a biblical worldview are 31 times more likely to live together before marriage and, and to believe it's acceptable. Once again, I mean, and honestly, in today's day and age, many people just kind of are skipping the marriage thing. Honestly, we, we've devalued what marriage is anyways. It's kind of like dating with uh, financial consequences. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just, it's crazy. So, uh, you know, people that don't have a biblical worldview, they, they, I don't think they even see marriage as anything that's significant anymore. People that do not have a biblical worldview are 15 times more likely to believe homosexuality is acceptable. Once again, you can't really hold a worldview, a biblical worldview, and and think it is, even though 2% of people that actually have biblical worldviews think it is fine. But you have to do some real mental and theological gymnastics to make that happen. People that don't have a biblical worldview are 18 times more likely to say, ah, being drunk's not a big deal. You know, especially if you're Ubering. I mean, what's it hurt? Well, the Bible says drunkenness is wrong. That uh, Drunkards aren't going to inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, we have clear biblical evidence that we, we ought not be getting drunk. Yes, you can have alcohol, but you're to use it responsibly. But if you don't have a biblical worldview, it's just not a big deal. If you don't have a biblical worldview, you're 12 times more likely to accept profanity. Now, I know, I know you guys listen to this podcast. 
are, you know, are cussing because the vast majority of Christians do. In fact, I mean, when only like 8% of Christians have a biblical worldview, I mean, 90% of Christians probably cuss quite a bit. Now, I mean, is that the worst thing that, that we could do? No, but is it necessary? No. Is it reflective of of being a good witness and a follower of Christ and of God? No. So we don't do it because it's like killing someone. We don't do it because, you know, there's worse things we'd be doing. We just, we don't do it because it's tasteless and it's, it's not necessary. And we want to reflect Christ in, in a godly image, not... Not an image of being foul-mouthed. I mentioned in my sermon this past Sunday, I said, does anyone here know of anyone that has great faith that goes around cussing all the time? And at least in one of the services, everyone starts cracking up laughing. No, they're not going to. Why? Because if you have faith, why why would you? Listen, I I used to cuss a lot when I was a kid, but decided when I was going to be a pastor, it probably wasn't a great idea. I always joke that my kids were like 16 before they ever heard me cuss and two things happened then one i was teaching my daughter how to drive and that'll make anyone cuss <laughs> and then the, the other time was i was trying to fix my fence and i was pulling on a board and pulling on a board and it wouldn't come loose and it wouldn't come loose you know one of the pickets and uh and i really leaned in and i really pulled hard and it finally broke loose and it smacked me right between the eyes and i almost caught myself and didn't but i thought you know what this is a time deserving of it, <laughs> and I did. But it, just in general, I'm, I'm just not a cusser, and I don't, I don't think we need to, especially as we want to um, submit ourselves to the authority of Scripture. Um, so uh, people that uh, that are not a biblical worldview, 11 times more to say adultery is okay. It's, it's just not a big deal. You just sleep around. Once again, marriage isn't a big deal, and even if you are married, not a big deal. I, I, I mean, it just keeps going on. Uh, that this is why there's not a difference between how Christians act and non-Christians act is because, well, we don't really know the Bible and we don't submit ourselves to the Bible and uh, we don't have a biblical worldview. So as I talk about it this Sunday, and listen, the church is broken in a hundred different ways, but I think it does come down to uh, our, our worldview that uh, if we had a more biblical worldview, uh, we would act differently. Uh, we would look differently. And as that, then we would be a light. And that's just something I can't emphasize enough that when the world's in darkness, we just, we need a light. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the world needs a hero. The world needs a role model. You need something to look to, to orient you, to, to inspire you uh, to the type of, people that we can all be and that really should be the church but the church is sitting here with like two broken legs and two broken arms and and just you know barely making it through i mean attendance in churches is dying no doubt it's dying we we don't have anything to offer we're the same as the world and so if the church is going to to fulfill the role that the church is supposed to fulfill, we, we've got to be different. 
and people need to see that difference and that they, they're going to need to want that difference when, when they're living miserably, when they're living brokenhearted because they're doing all these destructive things. Hopefully, um, hopefully the broken church uh, can be healed, that it can be restored, and that once again we will be a light to this world. Uh, but it will start with, um, with each of us, uh, each of you listening to this podcast, uh, understanding that that is who God's called you to be, to surrender yourself to Scripture as the rule and the norm for your life, and, uh, and to be a, a, that small light in the lives of others that, that they might see what you have, want that for themselves, and, uh, and, and that's how uh, the church begins to influence society, and it's got to begin with you and me. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this Smorgasbord podcast, and I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you.